0: All right, everybody, Leo Connell here. Today's Seven Figures Club podcast, we've got an incredible guest, an entrepreneur who has had multiple exits. He's going to be talking about uh, exit strategies. He's also uh, someone heavily involved in the capital raising and uh, has uh, different uh, capital raising firms we're going to talk to. So today's guest, my friends, is Gregory Shepard. And he has generated a lot of attention for entrepreneurs, investors around the world. He's passionate about utilizing his talents, which are many, to acquire skills for the betterment of society. Greg has acted as a chairman for congressional candidates. He's a dedicated philanthropist for science, human rights, special needs, children, and environmental causes. Uh, He coined the phrase altruistic capitalism in a Forbes article, of which he's published many articles with Forbes. And he has this belief that you can use the advantages of capitalism for altruistic purposes to make the world a better place. Obviously, he's an entrepreneur, 20-year startup veteran, serial entrepreneur with 14 liquidity events. A lot of us out there are looking for, you know, that first one or two liquidity events. Well, Greg's done it 14 times. He's done it in diverse industries like uh, biotech, transit tech, ad tech, martech, Uh, two of which were sold actually as part of a $925 million transaction, nearly a billion dollars. It won four PE uh, awards for transactions between $250 million up to a billion dollars. He's an author, uh, a Forbes books author. He has a brand new book that will be coming out uh, later this year that he's going to tell us a little bit about. He's got over 100 articles published in 25 national publications, international as well. Fortune and Entrepreneur, US News and World Report. He's obviously an investor and he's the founder of Boss Capital Partners and a Boss Capital Science uh, project that he's going to talk to us a little bit more today. And for a lot of you out there who are looking for kind of that next uh, capital partnership, Greg's gonna talk to us a little bit about what it takes to qualify and get the opportunity to work with uh, he and his team. Greg, welcome to the podcast, excited to have you on. There are over 32 million businesses in the US, and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So, how do we, as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three 7 figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now, so buckle up and let's go.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And and really what a mouthful to introduce, huh? Thank you. Well, I
0: mean, <laughs> you've accomplished a lot, so I just wanted everybody <laughs> to know, i like everyone to know at the beginning of a podcast, hey, this is someone you're going to want to listen to and learn a lot from. And so I guess the first thing uh, that kind of comes to my mind that uh, that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, as you look at some of those exits you had and and maybe that first really big exit or two, you know, what were some of the strategies that you employed and do you feel like you were doing things differently to actually obtain and hit that first exit event that maybe before in your career you weren't doing, or was it a matter of it was all this process and journey step-by-step you couldn't have gotten to where you're at? What, what was that like? Uh, Just tell us a little bit about it. It's a good,
1: it's a really good question actually. I mean, so when I started, you know, the, the, the first exits, every time I, I built a company, I kept meticulous notes on the process. So what did I do? And I would debrief myself at the end of every month. What went wrong? What went bad? You know, what could I do better? What would I do differently? And so I went through this process and I kept all these notes and that's basically what the book is, right? So it's, I created this thing called uh, BOSS, which stands for the Business Operating Support System, because essentially I wanted to create an operating system. Initially, it was just for myself so that I could do businesses faster. So I could... You know, start a business and sell it faster and faster, and do more than one at the same time. And I got to the point where I could do three or four at the same time, and I could sell them in three years um, from the from the data. One one I sold in a year and a half. Um, and you know, these are nice exits. So, you know, the I can tell you, like when I when I get on podcasts, one of the things I really try to make sure that the entrepreneurs understand is that it's really, really, really important that you start with the end in mind. And what I mean by that is, if you're out there and you're starting a company and you're taking investment capital, you're not building a lifestyle company. What that means is you have to sell your company in order for the investors in you to get your capital out of it, right? Otherwise, it's just a sitting capital asset, it's not liquid, and so it doesn't help you. And what that means is that you have to start where you wanna end. And, And what I mean by that is, if you're building a business, acquisitions of companies happen from larger companies those larger companies grow through acquisition they very seldomly build their own stuff right they they go out there and look for things to buy now why do they go out there and look for things to buy because those companies have absorbed the customer acquisition cost what we call a cac right the cost of acquiring customers they've done that and they may have a hundred thousand customers twenty thousand customers whatever it is and they've already paid for the cost of those customers So where they make money is on the lifetime value. When they've sold their services to those customers, the CAC to LTV ratio, so the the customer acquisition cost to lifetime value ratio, flatlines. So what do they have to do? Grow the LTV. How do they do that? They buy other companies. So if you don't start by understanding who your acquirers are, then essentially you could be going the wrong route the entire time. And what I mean by that is, Let's start with the customer that we were just talking about, the ideal customer profile that they have. Let's say that you've been building this business for five years, you get to the point you want to sell, and you've got the different customer than they have. You don't have a deal. So you just wasted five years and all that capital and steered off in the wrong direction. And that's just one example. Another example is when you look at opportunities, there are businesses that are built to save money and businesses that are built to make money. The businesses that are built to save money are solving a problem and those are typically bear market businesses, right? When the market's not doing well, people are trying to save money and then there are bull market businesses. When the market's doing well, people are making money, so exploiting an opportunity is... So you have these two types of businesses. It doesn't mean that you have a business that is that you have to change your business or any... You just change your narrative, right? So as an example... One of our portfolio companies before was a MarTech platform for realtors. And the whole strategy before COVID was, sell more houses, make more money, blah, blah, blah. And after COVID, the narrative changed to, hey, consolidate all your platforms, save money, use one platform, right? So this is an example. And if you don't start with that, when you first start building your business, then you can easily go off in the wrong direction. And the analogy I use for people is I say, listen, If I'm going to go from my house to your house, and I don't know where you live, it's going to take me forever to get there. And the journey of building a business is like a navigation of your in your car or on your phone. You put in the address you're going, you put in where you are, and then the plan maps your direction to that location. But if you don't know where you're going, you're going to be wandering around for a long time trying to figure out where your destination is. And the destination is definitive by the definition when i mean by definitive i mean by you know comparing the the analogy of you know this customer wants to buy this product and if you don't have that customer proven to buy your product then that means that their customers won't buy your product and you don't have a transaction does that make sense to you absolutely yeah. So that's like the first thing, right? When I tell people, I'm like, look, I've been doing this for 25 years and you know, all this stuff you read off. And I'm like, look, the, the, the first thing is what I call the North Star. Figure out, you know, who you want to sell to. You need like five of those, what I call IAPs, ideal acquire profiles. You need like five of those. You need to make sure your ICP is the same as, as those guys. You need to make sure that their behavior patterns and acquisitions align. And you need to make sure that you don't overvalue your company. The, the when I look at the reasons why entrepreneurs fail, so I studied this, right, I studied this for five years with a team of five people, 90% of entrepreneurs fail. So it's like, this is a problem, right? When do they fail? 12, so the first 50% fail within one year of leaving an accelerator. The other 40% leave, uh, you know, fail within five years uh, after that. So. You know, so you have win, and then why do they fail? And the biggest one is undercapitalization. So you have to ask, well, why didn't they get undercap? Why were they undercapitalized? The investors lost confidence. Well, why did the investors lose confidence? And then you get start getting the truth. And these things all can be put aside if you have the correct alignment in the very beginning. If you think about what you're going to do, you, you know, think about you're going on a vacation. You don't just jump in your car and start driving. Right. You have a plan of where you're going and when you're going to get there and where you're going to stay and all this kind of stuff. So that's the one thing along the lines of what you say. This is the thing that I have learned over and over again. And now with every portfolio company, it's the very first thing I do. And it is absolutely critical.
0: Unbelievable. So before even getting very far in your business. When you have an idea, a structure, and you're getting some of that seed capital and that proof of concept, begin with the end in mind. Figure out who do you want to be when you grow up this company in the next two, three, four, five years. And more importantly, and I I think this is a massive golden nugget, and I was listening to another entrepreneur like you who had multiple exits. And he did it similar to you and where it wasn't just some investment firm or private equity that was looking to purchase, but it was actually someone who was in their field, that strategic buyer who, oh, great. This, this is the perfect addition you know, to our offering with our client. It's going to increase that lifetime value. So how do I go about figuring out if I've got a product that fits with that larger potential strategic buyer. How do I know if uh, if I'm a fit for that big strategic buyer so that I, I do it right from the beginning and I line everything I'm building to get to that strategic buyer?
1: Yeah. So first, you know, I tell people I'm like, listen, you you basically have two routes to acquisition, right? So one of them is a strategic, like you said, and a strategic is going to buy you to either enhance their existing offering in in other words you know sell to their current customers or maybe you're going to save them some money so it's the same thing right either solve a problem save money or exploit an opportunity to make money in those scenarios um and i think that it's it's important when you think about this to start by okay so you know when you build a product you you don't build a product without having a customer right it's not you don't just go okay i'm going to build a problem you're not one of these companies running around with a you know a solution looking for a problem right that's that's a a, not a good way to start as an entrepreneur so the same thing applies for the acquisition strategy when you talk about starting with the end in mind you wouldn't build a business without a buyer just like you wouldn't build a product without a customer because essentially your whole business is just a product to the buyer to sell to their customers right so you start out by saying okay what does this company offer who are their customers what problems do they have to solve the same scenario you would go through when you're creating your ideal customer profile and persona, you know, your buyer personas, you would do the same thing that you do there with your uh, ideal acquirer profile. And you get like five of them and you end up with one of them, right? But you you groom the company for them. And what's what a lot of people don't understand, a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand, and, and they're always shocked when I tell them because I don't usually get on the phone and do the deal for them i like coach them through the process because i want them to learn it on their own and become a serial entrepreneur on their own uh, and so a lot of times i tell them i'm like listen call the corporate development people at the at the place that you want to sell your business to and ask them say what are you guys looking to acquire what are the what are the the holes you're looking to fill what are the problems you're looking to solve What is the minimum in in ARR and annual recurring revenue we have to have in order to qualify? You ask them for their requirements, just like you would ask, you know, if you're gathering requirements for building a tech stack, right? And you would be amazed at how many of them are like, yeah, you're going to build a company to solve a problem for me? That's fantastic. And then you go away, and five years later, you call them up, and you say, hey, man, guess what? I built that thing that you talked about, and I've proven it, and I've got 100 customers exactly like yours what we call in icp customers that are exactly like yours to prove that your customers will buy this product that's how you do it and it's the most critical thing i mean there's a lot of steps in boss this is part of boss the business operating support system that i talk about that's the book and boss startup science and all the stuff came out of this uh, that are built from you know just my experience over 25 years You know, I mean, I started from nothing. You know, I was working four jobs and eating mac and cheese and, uh, you know, squatting at hotel buffets for for breakfast and stuff. I mean, it was rough, right? I had no money. Um, And it was a really difficult process. And, you know, the reason why I do this whole thing is because 4% of people have the chance to do what I do and 75% of them do it by starting a business and 90% of those people fail. So... I created BOSS to prevent this from happening for other people. And that nugget that I just gave you at the very beginning, that is critical. It, You know, if you're trying to cross the ocean and you're one degree off, you're going to end up in a different continent. That's building a business. So get your bearings, right? And you get your bearings by understanding what is the end game? What does success look like? What's the outcome? and exit, right? And this also prevents a lot of other problems. Like one of the I mean, one of the top five problems with businesses is what's called overvaluation. So most entrepreneurs will start out, and I have these calls all the time, and they'll say, okay, I'm a, you know, Series seed company. Um, that means that they have a customer, right? They have like a dollar of revenue, something they've, they've validated, you know, what they're doing. And they go, okay, I got a $5 million valuation. And I say to them, do you realize... That by saying you have a five million dollar valuation, what you're saying is that you have to sell your business for twenty five million dollars right now, because the investors want two to five x return. So to so now you're like okay at twenty five million dollars, how much is your company actually going to be worth in five years? Fifty million. I mean anything over fifty million has a drastic drop off. So those of you that are listening that think you're going to do a unicorn, you have a better chance of being a rock star. So maybe just draw it down to 50 million, 25 million. So you can see how easy it is to get overvalued. And what happens is the investors stand back and they go, and they may let it slide up front, right? They may just let it slide, especially big VC funds with LPs because it makes their portfolio look bigger and they, they don't care if they lose money. They counted that into their risk management anyway, right? So the, the fact that that nine out of 10 fail, they don't care, they've, they've already accounted for it. But you as an entrepreneur, that really matters, Right? you got your life in the deal you've got your 401k your house your family i mean it's a you can't afford to fail so thinking about that valuation is critical because you go to round one round two round three round four round three you're overvalued now nobody wants to fund you anymore at the most critical time right so now you end up going out of business that's why 40% of them fail in the second, uh, the second half of that, right? After one year, you see 50% fail. Most of that is because they have bad advice. A lot of it comes from investors. Sorry, investors, uh, brother and sister investors. That's <laughs> it's true. Um, and a lot of times because they just don't know the path, they've never done it before or whatever. But if you look at the reasons after that, it's overvaluation almost all the time. So if you start out with the end in mind and you know, look, I'm gonna be able to sell this company for 25 million and be realistic, right? How much do you need? Really, I mean, come on, you know, (laughs) and guess what? You have to sell one to have another one. So start out small like I did. It's not about home runs, it's about base hits. So you start out, you do a little deal, you do a little bigger deal, you do a little bigger deal and pretty soon you're funding your own stuff and pretty soon you're funding other people's stuff. So the overvaluation is a massive threat to people because they usually they just don't get it right i mean i probably look at i don't know 100 deals a month and i and it's probably 80 percent of the time i look at a deal and i and i get on the file look at the deal and they're like Series seed and they're like yeah it's 5 million and i'm like do you, <laughs> let's plan this out all right so you're gonna do a round for a million now you're a 6 million dollar post money deal right now, in a year, you're going to do another round for $2.5 million. And then you're going to do another deal. And you've got to add 5X on top of that every single time. And what happens is one of two things. Either they don't fund you or they do fund you, but they only fund you in order for you to grow to grow to your valuation. So what happens is you raise money. You put it into growth. The valuation goes up. Now you have to raise money again, put it into growth. Your valuation goes up and you go around in circles until you're overvalued. Right. And then you see all the losers now go on IPO. It used to be that the winners won IPO, but now it's the losers that go IPO. <laughs> because the individual shareholder, like an average cat that's trading stocks, doesn't know what the venture capital community knows. So the IPO bails out the investors who bought into an overvalued deal. So, you know, you see this like interchange, but all this stuff can be avoided if you just start by planning out the whole thing like you would anything else in life, right? (laughs) It's just, you know, I mean, this is like the event of your life. You're going to build a business is the event of your life. Not sitting there going, okay, where am I going to be in five years? How much is my company going to be worth? And all of these things that boil it down are critical to making that happen.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the valuation formula because there is, there's a lot of confusion about how your valuation should be and and what it should be calculated. Of course, it's different at the beginning when you're getting the first round or the second round of, of capital funding versus obviously when you're getting, trying to get to that exit point. But a lot of the times, if you look, you know, there's simple three or four times earnings, if it's an ARR situation, which I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about that, where you've got Mm -hmm. accounts, uh, that annual recurring revenue that's coming in, that's super important in increasing your multiple. And Mm -hmm. obviously, if you have a strategic buyer, now that's generally, from my understanding, where you can get a much higher multiple. (laughs) Way better. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's why you want to do that from the very get-go, right? Right. So, very so
1: if you're selling to a P.E., you have to realize that that P.E. Is, needs to make money on your deal, yeah. which means they can't pay you top dollar. They can't. They have to pay you on a fire sale, meaning they have to pay you as little as they can because they're essentially arbitraging your deal, right? So you don't really want to sell to a private equity. You don't want to sell to a venture capital. All these people are just trying to make money on your money, so they're you're just you're selling, you're giving away part of your money to them. You want to sell to a strategic, which is why you have to plan. Now that goes back to your question about multiples, valuation, all that, right? So, you know, when people look at businesses, the there's these things called valuation drivers. I, a lot of these things that I'm talking about are things that I came up with that are in my book and whatever, right? But I call them valuation drivers because these are the things that pivot the valuation and their growth margin and retention, right? So, Growth says people like your product. Retention says people will continue to like your product. And margin says you can do it at scale. Now, if somebody's buying your company, they're going to be buying it on top line or bottom line, right? And if they're buying it on EBITDA it means they're trying to fatten up their, their profit and loss. Now, it's very difficult to build a business with fat bottom line margins, right? It, it, it means Especially you have to you grow. Yeah, you're, you're investing money and you're trying to squeeze and get bottom line. So, EBITDA sales are very difficult to achieve, and a lot of people go out of business try, thinking that it's about profit. Um, you know, and on the other hand, you know, top line sales are better, uh, but then you have to think about growth. So, if, if you understand the requirements of the company that's buying you, the strategic is buying you, and you sit there and you go, okay, you have growth margin and retention, which one is the primary? Is growth the primary? And by growth, is that user growth or revenue growth, customer growth or revenue growth? Right? And, and then margin, like, is, does margin matter? Well, probably not because they're going to merge your company into their company anyway. They're going to tell you it matters and it matters to understand the mechanics of your business. But to the buyer, you know they're going to dedupe everything out of the business you know they're going to get rid of a lot of people and the thing's going to have a lot more profit anyway so it's kind of a you know bullshit story right but if you really focus and you say okay top line growth margin and retention out of those three in a SaaS business retention is king right because retention means that month over month growth is easy to achieve because you're not under my it's not like you have a hole in the bag right you're adding revenue on And it's filling up the bucket if you have churn if you have the loss of customers it's like filling up a bucket with sand and there's a little hole in the bottom and you're constantly and that's expensive it costs money you raise money you get delusion you have a problem so you focus on growth margin and retention as value drivers in icp is extremely important these things have to be in icp because if they're not they'll just carve it out they'll say 25% of your customers are not in our same customer category in our same ideal customer profile. We're not gonna pay you that money, but we'll give you your multiples over here on NICP revenue, because they don't care about the other stuff, right? So making sure that you have that and then understanding what are they trying to do? Are they trying to buy and benefit the balance sheet? Are they trying to buy and benefit the P&L, right? So if they're benefiting the balance sheet, it means they are trying to grow a capital asset right? They're trying to build a bigger company and they're trying to build a base and, you know, they're trying to have assets and stuff to, to build up for like a walled garden approach like you see Salesforce doing or or uh, Facebook doing, you know, when Facebook bought LinkedIn, that was a perfect example of that. Or on the other scenario, are they buying you because they're looking to grow their top line revenue or their bottom line revenue for their own exit? right if it's a smaller acquisition unless the strategic is an end state strategic you know somebody like adobe or google or whatever but as an entrepreneur it's 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 it is the chances of you getting an exit to one of those giants is extremely slim but the chances of you getting an exit to one of the people in that chain before that process is probable right so you Know again, go for the base hit. If you, if you know, sometimes entrepreneurs will call me and I'm like, okay, what's your exit strategy? 99% of them they don't have one, and then I'm like, okay, well, as an investor, I'm interested in who's going to buy your company because that's how I'm going to get my money back. And they'll be like, Google, and I'll be like, that's like somebody saying, you know, I've been to the United States, where, <laughs> what state, what city, what area? I mean, you know, Google is a monstrosity, Amazon is a monstrosity, these companies, Adobe, and Salesforce and on and on they're massive so you can't say Google you have to say this particular group they operate like individual companies but even that is really difficult to do an acquisition with a with a big company just the acquisition part itself can take a year and usually does take a year six months to a year on average right but these little like 25 50 million dollar acquisitions if you play your cards right and you do it along the way you can get a deal like that done in three months. You know, so, and then let them deal with the problem down the line. Remember, the clock is ticking, right? And the numbers say, if you're at the casino, the numbers say that the longer you go, the more probable the chances are that you're going to have some event, some failure event or something critical happen. And that could be a competitor. When you start your business, nobody knows that you have this great idea that's solving a big problem. You're the only one that knows, right? Otherwise, there would be somebody out there doing it. As soon as you start to get sales and pick up, then somebody knows. And that somebody now has the ability to just look at you, emulate what you're doing, and run up behind you. Like like if you're hacking down a jungle, the first guy does all the work. The second guy just runs up right behind him. And this is what you see with just about every look at MySpace and uh, Facebook. And you can look at Apple and Microsoft. And you can, I mean, just go across the board to anybody, right? And you see this. Google and, and Yahoo and on Instagram and on. Instagram
0: and Snapchat. I mean, uh, Snapchat was coming on and Instagram's like, yeah, we'll do that better. And, and then they did. So.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's so easy, right, to look at what somebody else did and said, oh, I can do a better job. Steal their people, whatever, and just oh, raise. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the clock is ticking. So plan your exit and then drive as fast as you can to that area. But very intelligently and logically understanding things like the valuation drivers and leading and lagging KPIs that are income or expense KPIs and things that allow you to sort of understand the performance of the company uh, before the financials come out. You know, 100%. Hey
0: Greg, you know, now, one of the keys to creating an, a company that you can exit, and this seems to be just so true now and, and let me know if I'm on the right track, is creating a, an offering that is tied in to some sort of subscription, some sort of recurring revenue where you're adding customers and it's growing the top line because you have a recurring revenue subscription-based you know, product or software as a service or what it might be. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the keys to building something that can exit at eight figures in your
1: opinion? Absolutely. like There's no question about it. I mean, so you have, you have the route of doing a one-time sale and every time you have to work just as hard. And you have the route of doing a sale where you have recurring revenue, right? And that's MRR monthly or AR annual recurring revenue. And the idea of uh, of the SaaS model, this subscription—I mean, everything now you see is subscription. And basically, the model is—you know—everybody has so much money, so much disposable cash to spend in the retail, you know, commerce side, or on the other side in the business. The same model, right? And if you do MMR, you've essentially locked up that little bit of, of, of the revenue that you're going to get out of that. If you don't, you're risking it for somebody else to go lock it up. And so the it's it, you know doing something where you have a subscription model is like critical to getting a big exit. You don't see a lot of companies uh, these days that have that don't have subscription models that have nice exits. The other thing is is that you can clock retention, right? So you can say, let's say that you have a subscription model and uh, predictability is a big driver to premium valuation. So to get a bigger valuation, having some ability to, you know, give the buyer a predictable revenue channel. And you go to them and you're like, look, I've got, you know, 25,000 customers and every customer is paying me $100 a month and my retention rate is 90%. So 90% of that $100,000 a month, 90,000 a month is is safe revenue. That's valuable, right, to a buyer. Because not just because of, of the 90,000 a month, but because it tells them how their own customers are going to perform with your product. Right? So it gives them some predictability which then makes your valuation go up. Because now they're less scared, right? The more the, the, the less fearful they are of losing the money, the more, the looser the, the purse strings are. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And do you tend to think, obviously there's opportunity on each side, but do you tend to believe more in going after a, a B2B where it's kind of other businesses that are buying a product service that's in that recurring revenue model, or do you like going after consumers, or is it just really depend on your industry? What, what are your thoughts? If someone is looking at different ways to, all right, is my, is my avatar, my perfect customer client going to be a consumer or a business? You know, what, what are your Yeah, that's a good question.
1: That? I think that, you know, basically I see entrepreneurs, there's three different types of entrepreneurs. There is an entrepreneur that's a visionary, right? So this is an entrepreneur that just has an idea, right? And they just have this vision and they can do that. The second type is a subject matter expert. So these are the ones that I look for. And these are ones that are like, you know, you're a consultant in an industry, you see a problem over and over and over, and nobody's doing anything about it. And you're like, why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And then you decide to do something about it. Those are, those are the best ones, right? Because I look for opportunities and you should as an entrepreneur, you look for something that's inch wide, mile deep, right? Inch wide means that not very many people see it. Mile deep means the opportunity is very deep. So everybody's sort of skipping over these inch-wide ones and going out to the ones that are mile-wide and inch-deep, and the way that that moves is that the competition narrows and widens the the groove, right? Versus opportunity is is, an, is a uh, or sorry, I mean you know it makes it shallower. So basically, it, it you know it's as if the the you have this inch wide mile deep channel and it starts getting stretched and as it gets stretched it gets shallower that's an opportunity for something that is you know people see all the time and and you know you look at a lot of martech and ad tech stuff now and it's just like every day another zoom another zoom everybody wants to do a zoom you know educational platform you know kids at home COVID has inspired entrepreneurs but They really need to step back and go, okay, how many tens of thousands of other people are doing this? Versus if you have a subject matter expert, they're like, look, I'm in an industry where, you know, I sold one in January last year for 48 million that was uh, in the transit space. So they were, you know, it was buses and ferries and trains. And they created a platform to enable people to use their iPhone uh apple pay and just pay mechanically instead of have to go to a station and get a ticket and distract the driver It also gave the bus drivers analytics and this was a guy that worked in the industry right and it's not sexy buses right and trains and things like that but the the company sold for 48 million at like 20 times top 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 line revenue right so that's because he was solving a big problem that nobody else had solved And we did the deal in three years. We sold the business in three years, right? So it didn't give an opportunity for anybody else to catch up with them. In fact, the two followers went out of business recently. So, you know, that's a a perfect example of, you know, paying attention to this ticking. You know, I think of it as like a fuse, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, okay.
0: Got to move it before that bomb goes up.
1: Yeah, game on. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: So thinking back to, you know, as you were raising capital and with some of your first uh, enterprises, what was, especially maybe the first time for someone who's looking to go out and raise capital and they've got that business plan and everything together, what was it that, uh, that, that caught an investor's attention to take a chance on you before you'd had this history of exits and you, got, you landed that first big, uh, you know, capital raise?
1: I didn't. I bootstrapped. Yeah. I I actually. All
0: right. I like it. Yeah. I bootstrapped my first five. So you bootstrapped your first five. No kidding.
1: Yeah. First five deals. I bootstrapped all by myself. I work. Let's talk about
0: that. I love talking about bootstrapping. So how in the world are you bootstrapping your first five companies that you, that you build? How is that process of, you know, getting, you know, bootstrapping? Is it, is it based off of sales? Is it, you know, savings. I mean, how does that process, how did that process work
1: for you? I worked four jobs. I mean, I literally worked four jobs. One was to pay for my costs and the other three were to pay for the cost of the business. Um, and then after I sold my first one, then I had some money and I reinvested 50% of, of what I, because I've, I was, you know, you sit there and you say, you know, you exit a business. You're like, what am I going to do? Go put in the stock market into other businesses run by other people that you don't know. Or are you going to invest in control. yourself? You don't control. Yeah, you don't control the market, all this stuff, you know, it's uh so I invest in myself, you know, and the same thing with the deals that I invest in. I know the companies I'm investing in, I'm working with them every day, and I'm betting on myself. And so that's what I did. And I just kept doing it over and over and over again, you know, until I got to the big the big ones, you know, and um uh, when I got to the big ones I decided, okay, I don't wanna actually build the companies anymore. Instead I wanna help other people, and so I did the stent in politics, and that was a colossal nightmare. And so I decided, okay, instead of that, that's, I'm not helping people here. I can't have impact. And then I learned about this four percent, you know, of people that that have the ability to get out of that line, and they they do it through building businesses. It's it's basically windfall, and it's lottery inheritance. Build a business, and so I was like, build a business. I know how to do that. I can help everybody. I'll just show them what I did and all those notes I kept and. And that's what created the, I started writing articles and then it got a lot of attention. And I started speaking at universities and then the Forbes deal happened and stuff like that. So um, I did it because of the path that I went down, you know, and, and I know that um, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there like me, but it's, it, it, you know, <laughs> the process that what I went through was very painful and it took me a long time. You know, if you are able to find an angel to to help you, and remember the money is less important than the knowledge that they bring with the investment, um, then you can cut that time down, right? And then you can do more deals in your lifetime. So maybe you know, you you know, I had one deal that took seventeen years. I mean, that's like, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. You know, when you don't, because uh, it just takes forever. You know, to 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 do things, you can only grow. You're re- you're restricted by that, and that's because I didn't know how to raise capital, and you know I did it wrong. And I went and talked to people, and uh, you know this is also earlier. You have to realize that VC and angels and all this stuff is not that old now, right? So, uh, comparatively speaking, so before it wasn't the same as it is now. There weren't accelerators and all this stuff.
0: Well, and there's so many online groups now of, of angel investor groups and, and different mm-hmm. uh, that are looking for seed capital opportunities. And yeah, it's definitely seemingly there's more opportunity, maybe a, a little simpler process. But I like what you pointed out here. When you initially got off the ground, you're bootstrapping. And I, I see that with a lot of entrepreneurs where they are bootstrapping for quite a while until either they exit or they get that big uh, venture capital infusion to go to the next step. and and Maybe eventually
1: I think everybody should start out by bootstrapping i I do because you know you're you know the, you, you when you're bootstrapping, you are proving to yourself and you're also proving to investors that what you're doing is a good way for you to spend your time, and time is more important than money, right We're only here for a certain amount yeah. of time, and so you know if you're if you're bootstrapping, it really makes you question the the chances of success a lot more than if you're riding on somebody else's money, and if you can get yourself bootstrapped and you can get to the point where you have uh, a you know a platform or whatever the product is and you have just one customer, then you can raise money, and then the rest is going to be a lot easier. And the investors see that too, right? I look at that and I go, you know, here's somebody starting a business, they have a house. You can you can you know you do your background and you look at it and you're like okay this person came from a three hundred thousand dollar a year job and now they're raising this capital and you know you you know to yourself that this person doesn't have any skin in the game except for their own time and if that thing goes out of business they just go get a job their life goes fine right but as the investor you lose your money that you've worked really hard for don't discredit that right so. On the other side, if somebody bootstraps something and you can see that they've got some skin in the game and they've suffered a little bit, right? They've they've earned this. And then you're like, okay, this person's not gonna give up, right? They're gonna make it work. They're gonna stay in the game. And that's really important. So I, I tell everybody, I'm like you, you, you know, a lot of things come to me and I'm like, you need to go back and boot, bootstra- get this thing off the ground. And so, you know, Boss Startup Science, uh, the school that I that I'm putting together to teach people Boss, is a lot of it is for those people, right? So they can go and learn the, you know, the stages, the life cycle of business, and all this stuff I'm talking about. That if you're an entrepreneur, you don't know the, the smallest detail. I mean, you don't know that you're you're in a minefield, let alone that you're literally standing on a mine, right? And so, the the idea is to is to, uh, you know, these communities and all these things they they allow people to tell war stories and and things like these conversations. But there's no tactical prescriptive methodology that people can follow to make sure they're staying on the rails and that was you know that turned into my focus um because i just really want to help people you know want to help people that you know ha- <laughs> you know people who have it tough you know there's a lot of people out there that it, it, you know we're both white dudes right there it's easier for us right like way easier so <laughs> you know how do you help the rest of the people you know, just get to the level that we're at. Well, let's start out with teaching them what it looks like to build a business and how things work and what the methodologies are and the terminology and all these some things that you just over, oversee. Sometimes I'm on the phone with an entrepreneur and I'm using terminology and, and they go, what what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, I forgot, you know, so.
0: Yeah, it's a whole vocabulary that we learn and it starts, you know, with with credit and finance and all these different things that our education mm-hmm. system is just not teaching and so I love that you're building a school out for entrepreneurs to give them that knowledge. And obviously a massive benefit for any entrepreneur would be to be able to work with, it, with you, with your, with your team in this uh, boss capital. So what is it you look for when you're deciding whether to work with somebody and how can somebody prepare themselves to qualify for the opportunity to work with you?
1: I look at the, you know, the idea of when I make an investment, I think of the horse and the jockey. And and the jockey is the entrepreneur and the horse is the product, right? So you have to start out by saying, okay, well, the jockey has never ridden a horse before. So it doesn't matter if they have the best horse in the world, if they've never ridden a horse before, chances are they're gonna jump on, they're gonna fall off right away. So what I do is I look for entrepreneurs that understand that dynamic and are willing to get, you know, some advice and and be open and, you know, that sort of thing, right? It, it, arrogance is there's just no place for arrogance in business just at all right it's just there's no place for it and um you don't know what you know and you don't know what the other person knows so the best thing is to listen because even if you pick up one thing it's better than nothing right and you're not paying attention if you're talking um so i look for entrepreneurs that you know when i'm talking to them they understand the value that the relationship is bringing to them that they're open to changes and, um, you know, to developing as an entrepreneur. Um, I look for people that are, uh, you know, smart. You know, there's, there's intelligence and then there's wisdom. And so you can get a really, really, really smart person. And sometimes they're a little arrogant, but they don't have the wisdom. They have to understand the difference between the two. A really smart person can lose to somebody who's not even close as, uh, in, in terms of intelligence just because the other person's been down that road before. So it's really important that they're humble. It's really important that they're capable of listening and that they're organized and they have good time management uh, skills, right? I think that's that's really critical and that they have the best intentions, right? So, you know, if somebody... If somebody you know builds a business and and you know they think they're building the business because they want to make money uh, that's an outcome that's not the journey the journey is solving a problem that you see in the industry or exploring an opportunity that's that's what you want to that's what you want to focus on the money is an outcome of that of of the of the success of that that understanding is really important
0: Absolutely. So, so you're looking for people who, you know, have the great uh, horse, they've got to have an amazing product. As a jockey, it's not like they're their first time they have skin in the game. They've they've maybe tried something a time or two didn't work, they're pivoting, they're trying to figure it out. And then they're not just focused 100% on the outcome, I'm going to become a wealthy entrepreneur. It's, I've got a valuable product that solves people's problems. And I've kind of had this amazing mission that i am focused on, and if they kind of have those focuses, then they've got a shot at working with you and your team. Yeah, like
1: the one I was telling you about with the transit business, this guy was trying to ride right a wrong, right? He was like sitting here going, look, all these people that don't have very much money are riding a bus. And in order to ride the bus, they have to walk to a terminal, buy a ticket to get on the bus, right? And he he's like, these people are just have, just trying to get to work. They already have a hard life. And he was trying to ride right a wrong. That's the right motivation, the guy ended up making a, a lot of money. It's you know? a
0: global business. That's what's that's what's amazing when you can come up with that type of solution. Like that's a global thing now that every single bus station in the world now can benefit from. Yeah, and they
1: are like it's literally yeah. in Sydney. It's in London. It's I mean, it's the company that bought them is the largest transportation company on the planet, and um, you know it it revol- it changed. It was a, definitely a disruptor. It changed everything. Um, and it's just this, you know, a couple of guys that, uh, you know, put their 401k, mortgaged their house, got their business going, um, got a, a proof of concept out, had one, had just had one customer, I invested, got involved, we sold the company, and now they're investors for, for, for me, with me. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's, it's awesome.
0: That's what it's about, dude. That gives me chills just listening to guys that uh, went all in, they mortgaged their house, put their 401k up, that's what it's about. Because you've got something that you believe in and uh, 100%. Wow, I'm I'm actually surprised because sometimes you get this idea of, you know, venture capital entrepreneurs, they just go out and they don't take the risk, but they get the venture capital. But from what you're saying, a lot of those uh, are on their second, third, fourth uh, business and they started out bootstrapping. They did put everything to risk. And that's how I've kind of always seen entrepreneurs. So it's kind of exciting to see that that's actually been the process. That you've seen succeed, and now you're, you know, perpetuating it by bringing in other entrepreneurs and helping them make it possible. And and it sounds like they did exactly what you did. You you, you guys targeted. All right, here's the biggest transportation in the company in the world. This is an asset they don't have, but my goodness, they would love to have it. And just really, really a brilliant uh, process that you put together. So how, so wh- where should we send everybody? Where should we send uh, them so that they can learn from you? and and potentially you know work with the boss capital partners what's this process and how how can they take action
1: so there's three websites i know this is ridiculous
0: (laughs) what's website number one
1: there's gregoryshepard.com that's my website okay Okay. so if you want to learn about the stuff i'm doing um that's that website
0: and let Um, me just say guys sign up put your email in there to get uh, boss news events and his book release i signed up i'm excited because he has that book that is coming out in just a few months,
1: and then for if you're looking for investment capital, BossCapitalPartners.com, that's the uh, that's the firm for that. And then if you're interested in learning about Boss and you know going to the academy and all of that, then it's BossStartupScience.com. I call it a startup. Si- I call it a science. <laughs> I'm
0: going to type that in right now. Boss Startup Science. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Boss Startup Science, Boss Capital Partners. So if you're kind of in the process and you're trying to you know, build that foundation, then, then uh, Boss Startup Science. If you're trying to learn more and, and maybe you're kind of an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe go into uh, to Gregory Shepard and that's S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com. And sign up for his book. And then if you're ready to roll, and you're listening, and you're implementing what Greg's talking about, and you've got skin in the game, and you're ready for that that uh, capital infusion to take the next step. Then BossCapitalPartners dot com is where you want to head. And
1: there's a ton in there. I do. I spend a tremendous amount of time and energy doing videos and articles and things constantly. And you know, if you connect in LinkedIn or whatever, too, you'll see it. But the best thing to do is to opt in for the email because you get like things that aren't in the social media and stuff. And mm. A ton of stuff, and I'm going to be giving a lot of books away to people when the when uh, when it uh, when when they roll out in June. So,
0: amazing stuff, man! Well, we are excited. Uh, I'm excited to have you as, as a resource because uh, with with our uh, we we kind of have a debt funding marketplace to help business owners kind of just get some of that small startup capital 15,000 to uh 75,000.
1: We didn't talk about that. That's a good route and, and we should have uh, talked about that. Sorry. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll we'll definitely uh talk about it uh after here we can jump on. But yeah, I mean that's so we help them to kind of get that debt funding and understand a home equity line of credit or to get a loan off of a 401k to bootstrap and get going, but then for them to take that next step, that's where Boss Capital Partners uh, really comes in. And so we will see that, uh, you know, uh, that select group of people that come in and now we, we've we got a place to send them because it's hard to find a really, you know, good, good place that not only because you, you pointed out the capital is one thing, but the actual know-how and the expertise to build that exitable business is significantly more. Yeah. Better.
1: One piece of advice could either burn $100,000 of that investor's money or make $100,000, right? So, the advice is really important.
0: 100%. Well, awesome. Amazing uh, value. So those are the best places to uh, connect up with uh, with Mr. Gregory Shepard, award-winning entrepreneur, 14-time exit strategist, and someone who's making the world a better place. And that's what entrepreneurs, my friends, do. hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Uh, Greg, the last, uh, last word or, or wisdom that we can all focus on to make 2021 our breakthrough year.
1: Kindness. That's it. Amen. Yeah.
0: Amen. You guys hear about it. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about it and it's not surprising. I'm telling you some of the best people in the world are entrepreneurs because they care.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Greg. Uh, we'll get this uh, sent out to the platforms and look forward to uh, working with you again. That's uh, BossCapitalPartners.com, boss Gregory and the boss startup science.com for the information. And that's what it takes to succeed in entrepreneurship. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession proof Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.